So I've noticed there's a lot of street performers here in LA. And I was walking down the street the other day and I saw this homeless guy who was juggling while playing a harmonica around his neck. And the tune that he was playing on the harmonica was the Super Mario Brothers theme. I just thought that was amazing. So I decided to see if I had any spare change. I ended up giving him a hundred coins. I thought that should get him a new life. (laughs) (laughs) This is Sam. This is Paul. This is Jonathan. And this is Southpaw. A special shout out to our newest Patreon patron, Rich Brooks. You will forever be known as the ninth member of our Southpaw clan. We will call you Rich of the North Star. To quote Phil Baroni, you a legend, Rich Brooks. Hello, Internet. My name is Jonathan Cook, and I am your guest host for the one-year anniversary podcast of Southpaw. Sam, when you started the podcast, did you think you'd make it a year? Just like Dad, he just turned it on. I was like, oh, man, this guy. You'll get there one day. But your question was, when you started the podcast, did you think Southpaw would last a year? Uh, No. <laughs> I knew it would last. They're not going to stop making MMA, so... Well, most, I'd, I'd say 90% of podcasts don't make it this far. So congratulations. Paul, how would you rate your first year? If you had to rate Southpaw out of 10 for your first year, how do you think you've done? I can only rate myself. I give it a solid C plus. C plus. He gives it a C plus out of 10, everybody. <laughs> now, what I wanted to start with, has the Southpaw audience heard the Sam and Paul story? How did you two become friends? So back in 2003, I was a sophomore going on to junior in high school. I got interested in MMA and I thought, listen, this is great and I want to train. So I looked up local jujitsu schools, astronomical pricing. (laughs) Truth be told, back then it was still $80, $90 for unlimited. (laughs) But I was in high school, I was like, I can't afford this. So I did what any teenager would do. I went on the internet. I went on the Sherdog forums and I said, anywhere I can train in LA for cheap, question mark, question mark, question mark <laughs> in the thread. And people would ask, well, what's your budget? And I was like, I'm in high school. I don't have a budget. Lo and behold, Sam responded, hey, what part of LA are you in? He offered to train me. And I thought, this is great. And it wasn't until we decided to meet up, I realized and it dawned on me it's like i'm meeting a stranger on the internet i have no idea what this guy looks like didn't send me a photo this is a news line headline waiting to happen didn't even tell me his credentials like i've trained x amount at this (laughs) point i'm a purple belt brown belt under so-and-so but he was legit and i realized what sam got out of it was there's a lot of moves that he had accumulated throughout the years training at go course but no sane training partner would allow it because they said, rolling Kimura, no, I'm going to pop my shoulder out. But I'm a kid, so I figured I should be fine. I don't know what it is, so I don't know the risk, so I'm not as scared. And if he's going to do it, well, whatever. It's okay. I have insurance. It actually wasn't sure, dog. Because back then, there were a lot of like other MMA websites. Nobody knew who was going to be the big dog, so... But back then, there was just... The Underground or Bullshito. Or no, so there was of all of those. So we were in an obscure one that is now defunct called MMA-Fighter. So I actually used to write for them too. So that's where he posted it. And then, uh, and then I found out he lived in LA. And I was like, perfect. I could try out some moves. Nice. So he was just a, a real-life crash test dummy for you. Yeah. And he mentioned the school go course. So... Um, that probably needs some explanation. It's a catch wrestling, MMA, judo, sambo school. Very much heavy emphasis on the sparring and on the MMA and just fighting more than technique or anything else. 
So before like gi jiu-jitsu or anything like that, I was training MMA first. And when Paul came to you, do you did you see potential? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's like, uh, especially back then, there was no technique. I am kind of talking about this school as being sparring heavy and not that technical. But back then, there was no technical school. It was before all these like really technical Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys were on the tournament scene or whatever. You know, you train in the evening and you were just tough. Those were the days. So then what makes somebody have potential in the era of no technique? Just pure athleticism. Now you can see somebody nerdy and they could get really good, right? Back then, <laughs> if you were nerdy, there's no way you could be good just because you just wouldn't be athletic or tough enough. So my baseline for judging back then wasn't on his mental capacity. Now you would judge it like, oh, okay, they're a smart learner or stuff like that. I was just looking at his coordination, his balance, how he moved. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was like, oh, maybe low on the potential. You didn't have low potential. You were just before your time. So you two became friends, I would assume. How did it transition from uh, coach-student to friend-friend relationship? Actually, there was a couple of years where we weren't even talking for a while. And uh, this all started because we as were- As in not talking as in the absence of talking or not talking as in actively not talking because drama went down? Oh, yeah. We were enemies. <laughs> so what happened was- just like the way our, our relationship started, it was all online, which is funny because we do a podcast online. We mostly still talk online, but it was like the days of instant messenger because MMA was so obscure. This was before Conor McGregor. Whoever was into it back then was really passionate. And then one day we got into a, we were talking about pride and I never thought pride was as good as UFC anyway. So there was already <laughs> that. And then, and then we were talking about fighters and then he was talking about Josh Barnett and he was really into Josh Barnett at the time. <laughs> and I thought he was overrated. And then he had the whole like drug scandal and everything that left the UFC. And then we started arguing about Josh Barnett and then that was it for, for years. Wow. Pride and UFC, the, the that rivalry. Capulets and Montagues of MMA. Uh, Paul, is that how you remember it? What did he say? How negative about Josh Barnett could he have been? And how attached were you to Josh Barnett? No, I said he sucked. Now I would take that back. He doesn't suck. In my analysis at the time also wasn't so eloquent. It was still very barbaric. So I just, it was either they were good or they sucked. And I just kept saying he sucked. I, I think I was kept telling him he's wrong. Barnett sucks. Barnett was actually the tipping point because before it, was broader in the sense of jujitsu versus catch. And Sam had recently transitioned to Brazilian jiu-jitsu over catch. And then I was defending Sakuraba. And then he said, well, Arona kicked the shit out of him. And then he said, boy, look at all the Gracies he beat. And I said, like, yeah, they're all undersized. <laughs> and I was already heated. And then I brought up Barnett. And he's like, yeah, but Barnett's always like, my fuck this thing. So you brought it up probably knowing that he was going to gonna talk bad about him sometimes you stew on an argument like you know how you like throw gasoline on a fire you're like i've been holding this in my back pocket just in case we have a fight so we can really have a fight because first he's talking about sakuraba over all these other guys and then he brings up barnett you're bringing up two catch wrestling guys in a <laughs> row but now in hindsight you know how like when you're first converted into christianity like you're a new christian they're like the most gung-ho, right? Yes. Same thing with atheism. The person who just like converts to atheism, new atheists, they're like the most gung-ho. They can't shut the fuck up about it, right? I think at the time also, like I just got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> so I had that whole like new convert thing going on. So I think I was probably proselytizing it too much. So he probably was sick of hearing it as well. You were just searching for Taekwondo forums online, ready to spread the word. Yeah. Because once you're converted, you want to shit on all the stuff you, you used to be into. Oh, totally. I was into the shit that you're into 10 years ago. But here's why it sucks. <laughs> that's, that's almost more of an insult than I was never into it. Like, I was into it, but 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so this is obvious reasons to no longer be friends. Yeah, this is a pretty wide bridge to have to, uh, to build. How did you come together? 
And we actually never publicly addressed this. This was this has been too heated. I was even afraid to bring it up. I was like, if he brings it up, can I bring this up? I didn't know if he was going to get red faced. I was going to get red faced, and we we're going to go back to the old Barnett Sakuraba versus the Gracies and the whole Gracie Hunter idea and all this stuff. Back then in the old school days of now we're going back to the UG, the underground and people fighting over this shit. It got ugly. Like people died. <laughs> but we're here today. You guys survived that. Came out of the the martial arts equivalent of the West Coast, East Coast, early 90s, bodies dropping all over the place. West Side Story. But you two are in the same room now. I think we're being honest. The actual genesis of all that, much like most beefs, is something minor and stupid, but it kind of boils over. And I remember this was when it was during summer break at some point, but we were supposed to go out to eat. And Sam said, I'll just cook you lunch instead. I was like, oh, great. I get a nice meal. He did a great job. And then he made me do the dishes. I thought, what the hell? It's like, well, yeah, I, I made you a meal. So the least you could do is do the dishes. I think I was just, that was it. I was just holding on to that. I was like, I can't believe you made me do the dishes. <laughs> Jonathan, you're a civilized person. What do you think about that? Like dishes, that's a fair trade, right? I think that is a fair trade if you were on equal footing and the event is supposed to be an equal footing event. So if my wife and I are just having dinner on a weeknight and one of us does the cooking, one of them does the cleaning, all right, we have perfect synergy, Okay. But if what if you don't know each other that well or it's a special occasion or you're like, you come to me, I'm going to do this for you. And then I ask for something in return. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know we were we were going tit for tat. I didn't know. Oh, I should have. Should I have brought a gift as well for the, the, the beautiful hospitality of having me in your home? Uh, I would never ask someone to do the dishes at my house. I'm going to edit your answer out. (laughs) (laughs) And to be fair, I was 19 and I was just looking for an excuse. I was just mad at everybody. It was cool. And what was it? Like the early 2000s? Like it was kind of like the end of grunge, new metal. It was it was cool back then just to be angry all the time. Yeah. Like the Limp Bizkit era and uh, Eminem was just coming in. Just being angry. That was a thing. Do you think alt-right is the outlet that sort of an absence of punk rock and grunge has allowed to take hold. Is that is that the now most popular avenue for sort of disenfranchised male teens? No, I've, I've joked with friends about that, that we were like proto-alt-right back then, just angry all the time. I mean, like even like uh, fighting over, even caring about what martial art is better. It's just like you want to be more alpha. It's all toxic masculinity bullshit, right? <laughs> That now sublimates into alt right, but back then just was stupid arguing over, you know, what's better, UFC or Pride, or or doing the dishes or not. But eventually, you grow out of it, right? You grow up as a person. I think a lot of that is part of it is immaturity. Then hopefully you grow up, and uh, I think a lot of people don't always grow up because they're holding on to something, thinking it has to do with their masculinity or their identity as a guy, but it has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with immaturity. Yeah, I think it's it's immaturity and perhaps directionlessness. That's probably a word. It's interesting how you can channel that through through martial arts. I mean that a lot of people like will say that martial arts changed their lives. They're heading down this path and then it, it kind of put them on, you know, the straight and narrow, if you will. And then other people in other forms, martial arts will just enhance those negative features. Yeah. You, you're basically just weaponizing the problem. Which road did you guys go down? Did you feel like martial arts put you on a straight and narrow? Or did you feel like it uh, it brought out maybe things that you didn't want, like competitiveness or toxic masculinity? I guess growing up, I always did some form of martial art. And I never got good at any of them to become <laughs> proficient. So... It didn't really affect me negatively. It just gave me something else to do and focus on getting better. But I can absolutely see where if I'm already a terrible person, and I'm not great, but if I'm really bad, it would just (laughs) enhance those negative qualities. Well, I was actually, when we did link up again, 
surprised that he didn't turn all right you know like that kind of toxic masculine guy and maybe he did have even still a little remnant of that that i had to like kick away you know (laughs) the old mentor mentee thing had to still kick in but for the most part he was already kind of like heading towards the social justice left politics i think maybe for him uh, bernie sanders was a big awakening moment for him and the reason why i said i was surprised is because for him running into me again, I could have just as easily been a reactionary, toxic dude, you know, because of the breeding ground we were in this like kind of macho alpha male, like martial arts world, who's the best, who's the baddest man on the planet kind of thinking and that really mattered to you. So when that kind of shit matters to you, there's like a high probability that you will end up more of this kind of a jerk, you know, (laughs) like a Donald Trump type. And that is why Donald Trump is so beloved in a lot of martial arts circles. So how we didn't end up like that, I don't know. I mean, I kind of do know, but I think it is like idiosyncratic. It's like unique to each person. I know I spoke to Paul about it, but I I think he was very inspired by Bernie Sanders, but also like music, right? It was like hip hop. Yeah, I had early Rage Against the Machine and Immortal Technique, specifically Rage, because when you listen to some of the lyrics, when they talk about how they only went after King when he spoke on Vietnam. I'm like, wait, what? Is that true? Did they really do that? Or they targeted X and then blamed it on Islam. Like, huh, did they do that? That's messed up. <laughs> and then I also happened to be in school during the war on terror. And then when I graduated college, the recession hit and I thought, this can't be right. How come the banks are getting bailed out? But I'm fucked with all these loans. <laughs> like, hmm, something doesn't add up. And it's like that Sam always talks about the quarter. It's right at the head and it could flip either way. And then I realized, hmm, it's not working out for me. It's probably not working out for a lot of people. There's probably something bigger at play. Yeah. And when I mentioned that breeding ground, right, it's basically generic Joe Rogan type audience members. That was us, right? And I think they are that quarter standing on his side too. And now in 2019, the show has evolved enough where it is pretty much blatantly reactionary so that quarter is tilted but earlier on i think a lot of the listeners could have gone either way that's part of the synthesis of the show because maybe a lot of them are just watching it by default or listening to it by default because there's nothing where they're talking about combat sports but also interviewing interesting people that talk about things that are not related to combat sports but are just interesting because People who are into combat sports are an interesting group where they like shit beyond just combat sports. They want to hear shit about science or like weird movie trivia shit or like about how an iPhone works or you know what I mean? Like that's why they like mixed martial arts because it's the mixing of all these different (laughs) random things that combined together. So I think that audience base wanted something where because you could find all the other stuff, but they won't talk about combat sports. And if you find something to talk about combat sports, they don't talk about all that other stuff. So then if you want all of that combined, you only had Joe Rogan. <laughs> so Southpaw was like, literally, I was texting him. The newest episode was some, it could have been Dave Rubin for all I know, just somebody really annoying. It's like, this is yeah. bullshit. <laughs> and I was like, Paul, let's start our own podcast. And I think hours later, <laughs> we had something up. And so that was like uh, about a year ago. So here we are now being interviewed by our very first guest. Yes, we've come full circle. Uh, we have duck, dip, dodge, dive, dodged away from all of the uh, all of the potential dark roads you could have gone down. It is interesting to see how idiosyncratic it is. So, if you'd have asked me in 2013 what my politics were, I'd have said somewhere in between moderate and don't give a shit. Mm. Like, do not really do not really follow politics at all. Yeah, and then I moved to America. And found out that I was a crazy left-wing pinko communist <laughs> because I felt things that Medicare for all were normal. Yeah. And so I started paying attention to the uh, uh, the primaries in uh, in 2015, started getting like fairly political around 2015, 2016, and found myself uh, aligning with uh, uh, more progressive politics, big fan of Bernie Sanders. And it was interesting to then revisit my old gym or old people I knew with like a new sort of political uh, mental framework. Old gym in Australia? Uh, yeah. And 
things that I just thought were like funny or quirky and had not really ever processed as like political or important. I'm like, oh, like this guy is crazy. <laughs> and it's like, it's only just due to, I would say, a million little accidents that I ended up where I did. I mean, you could argue perhaps it's it's a natural personality or intellect, and I think that plays plays a role. But I think the environment is is very important, uh, and it's it's interesting, like what these like what directions people are moving in because of these martial arts environments. Uh, there's that Vonnegut quote. He's my favorite writer, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, I, I think he was talking to a woman in uh, in Germany after the the bombings of Dresden, and she said. 10% of people are inherently good and 10% are inherently evil. The rest can be swayed either way. Mm. Um, so it is interesting in what is kind of like a growing community, like what trajectory that this community is taking. Who was crazy? What were they saying that made you think that? They were libertarian points of view, essentially just that we should have like no kind of government or whatever. And I thought it was like a joke. Like, oh yeah, everybody hates the government. Like that's, you know, if we're, if we're not you know, talk, taking like civic seriously, if, if you would, if someone's like, ah, government sucks, ah, screw the government, you wouldn't necessarily think that they were like left ring, right ring, particularly yeah. political. Like we all just hate parking fines and like, yeah, yeah. you know, speeding tickets, all that kind of stuff, which I thought it was. And I was like, oh no, like this guy literally thinks it's an invasion of his privacy that he needs to get a driver's license in order to drive a car. Like that's an infringement on his freedom having to go to the Australian equivalent of the DMV to get a driver's license. So revisiting your school with new eyes, you realized then those kind of people were always there, but you never really noticed them? Exactly. And I wouldn't say it is that school because people from my school might be listening, but more just individuals. But yeah, it's interesting to see what once you get into politics, everything becomes political. Yes. A lot of us in the martial arts world who happen to be more lefty realize that, right? Looking back at our school or looking at people that you've trained with for a long time, you're like, oh, maybe that's why I never really liked this guy. He's kind of <laughs> racist, <laughs> you know, or just like looking at it through a different lens and now it all starts to make sense. And then you realize, oh shit, there's been like bad, let's say um, unconscientious kind of thinking, like lack of egalitarianism or lack of empathy always kind of there. We just didn't notice because it was like air. It was always there, so we didn't notice that it's there. Yeah. And then maybe we held our breath for a while, and then we we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is air we're breathing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but this kind of air is toxic. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, what have you learned about Sam as a co-host? Has there been anything that surprised you knowing him as a trainer and friend? Is, is he indifferent in any way as a podcaster? Not so much different, but there's often been times where there's something I don't know. And Sam might not be clueless, but only vaguely familiar with the subject. But we'll meet up the week after. And I was like, yes, yeah, so I read a book on so-and-so. <laughs> and it also cross-referenced this. So I looked that up. I was like, what the hell? You, in a week? Don't you have a kid? Like, Would you describe that as a thirst for learning or an unhealthy, competitive <laughs> uh, lack of self-esteem? More the former than the latter, because <laughs> I don't know who he's competing with. It's not me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to let you know something that I don't know. It would be something even as small as sound mixing. He might say, oh, do you know how to do audio visual stuff for podcasts? And I'm like, no. Because I do. I just enrolled in a 12-week course <laughs> in it. And then he'll learn it. And I <laughs> thought, oh, well, okay, then that solves it. Check. So that surprised me. Okay. So, Sam, you can't let Paul have anything. What have you learned <laughs> about Paul since podcasting with him? What have I learned about Paul? Um, <laughs> kind of piggybacking off of what he just said. I, I feel like I'm a pretty good read of people. So I felt like whatever I needed to know about Paul, I already mostly knew. So that's why I even did this venture with him. But I think his level of... Maybe I already had a read on it, but the level of it is what's new, right? Like the details of it, like how laid back he is, how easygoing he is, and how also how well he gets along with people, how well he can empathize with people, and also like very surprising random MMA trivia that he has <laughs> in his head at any moment. Like 
as much as I think I can pull something out of my head related to MMA, I don't know, maybe I'm just older than him. So my brain has degraded, but like sometimes <laughs> you just pull shit. I'm like, oh shit, you're right. And remember like back in the day, SureDog had that SureDog Fight Finder or like all these like search functions, which it doesn't have anymore. So you yeah. can find every obscure fact about MMA through the website. <laughs> it's as if he used that search function to look everything up and then he memorized it. The human fight finder. Not really, because I don't know records off the top of my head, but there'll be random things. Like if you gave me a fighter from the early to mid 2000s, I could probably say, oh, he trained at this gym and then he went here and then he went here and then he went here. Even this convoluted <laughs> someone like Vitor Belfort. It's like, oh, yeah, he went from Carlson and then PTT and then Extreme Couture and he did his own thing and then he went to Black Zillions and then. Now he started his own team again. Random MMA trivia tidbit. Back in that era, <laughs> I don't know why, but before there were like sponsors and you were getting paid by people, Brazilian fighters were all about just promoting good general health, telling people to just <laughs> eat their vitamins <laughs> and get their minerals and eat their vegetables. Remember this? Vitamins and minerals? Vitamins and minerals and vegetables. They would have it all over their gear, just reminding you, yeah, you should eat that stuff. I like how Sam says, Paul's so good at MMA trivia, but so am I. Here's something I know. Guess what? That sound mixing, I know it now. And I know you too, Paul. I know everything about you. This feels like therapy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was friends with my co-host of Screen the Screen Verdict podcast, Matt Noble. Plug, for, plug. For many years. Yeah. Do you, do you have a plug alarm? <laughs> ba -ba -ba -bow. Uh, no. Matt, I was friends with him since we were six years old, and we started podcasting when we would have been about 22, 23, and that was, that was an experience. Most, the thing that I'd say I learned most about Matt was from, in editing, was finding out how loud he chews. <laughs> like, you, you can eat with a person, and you might notice it, but like, with those headphones on, when you're going cut, back, forth, cut copy paste like you really start to notice it and that just sort of seeds for the next sort of eight years <laughs> and it just comes out on someone else's podcast no but there have been times when sam i guess because he does all the editing you're like hey you know in between taste could you stop doing that thing you know where you're no breathing. like oh you Nose mean breathing? breathing yeah could you just stop breathing just cut that out yeah you, you're breathing like the chocolate rain guy he does intense nose breathing. Like that. Like it sounds like he's seething, just so angry. <laughs> like we're talking about just some MMA fight and I hear him just seething in the background. Like, what is he so upset about? This is a bit of a tangent, but there is a friend of mine who started posting a lot of uh, Facebook videos. He's sort of gone from a very... Uh, having his tie done up to 11 in high school to on quite the spiritual journey. And he starts all of these videos with. <sighs> and I'm just like, this is not conveying a sense of Zen. This is conveying the acts of a psychopath. Nobody <laughs> breathes like this. And if you do need to breathe like this, because you think it's calming, do it and then hit record. This is the worst opening nine seconds to a Facebook video every single time, every time. It reminds me of like in pro wrestling, the heel, the bad guy character. They always do like some kind of loud breathing at the beginning to like, listen here, brother. <laughs> like Macho Man used to always do that when he was talking shit to Hogan, you know, actually he wasn't a heel, but. You know, later on, he became very annoying, like the ultimate warrior used to always just do that loud breathing. I remember one time he cut a promo where he said nothing. He just breathed the whole time. <laughs> you, you guys remember this? I think he did this more than once where somebody would ask him a question. He would just breathe loudly into the microphone and then just walk away. <laughs> I thought it was because he forgot his lines and then he didn't want to do nothing. So he would just keep breathing. And then it was part of an act. Let's talk about why we had you on for I'm the, the host, time. buddy. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, what do you want? <laughs> well, I just thought it'd be worth mentioning our thought process. I remember we were going back and forth, me and Paul, about guests, because at first I didn't even know if we wanted guests because I thought that was just so cliche, podcast having guests and doing that shit. 
And then when we decided let's do have guests, because if it's just us talking, <laughs> why would anybody download this? We it's just like <laughs> he could ask his friends, I could ask my friends, and that's about it. But if we brought on guests, they could ask their friends, and then the podcast spreads, right? So <laughs> Oh, that's why podcasts have guests. Yeah. But then our skills, and in particular for me, I felt like I don't know how to fucking interview people or talk to people and interview them. So we needed somebody we felt like was was a non-hostile guest. We could bring <laughs> him in, we could talk about stuff, but like he wouldn't give us weird looks if we didn't know what to ask him. <laughs> and we we're like, okay, Jonathan is the right mix of like friendly enough, knows about movies, is funny, but won't judge us, hopefully. But after today, he's full of judgment. So I'll <laughs> way off on that. So you saw me as a as a docile, non-threatening guest to the podcast. A beta male. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at this nerdy bitch. <laughs> we can just like just like you invited Paul over to like test your moves out. I'm just gonna throw this guy around. They're like, hey, let's let's bring on this dumb white guy. Make fun of him on our podcast. And also knew you had a podcast. I was like, my master plan was, and then we'll steal all of his fan base and just bring him over to ours. Yeah, that's. I think that's how it's just people's friends. You just add my friends with your friends. And eventually it gets to a number that looks like you either have a lot of friends or you've finally broken outside it. According to our numbers, we don't have that many friends. So, <laughs> how, many, how many friends do you have on Facebook? Uh, on Facebook, I have over a thousand. How many followers do you have on Southpaw? Not a thousand. You got some shitty friends. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, Paul's friends are even worse. <laughs> What's the what's the most hate you've ever received? That's another weird thing about podcasts. They always do this whole fucking thing about their haters. They have to always take a minute, you know, to talk about their haters. Now to all the haters out there or like <laughs> if they get a fucking bad review, they always have to fucking talk about their bad review or or whatever. They're always complaining about their audience. That's a bizarre segment too. <laughs> like to dedicate a segment of your show to do that. Look what we overcame to be here you guys so well, one thing i wanted to t- talk to you about this kind of ties into haters uh there's been a trend i would say in comedy in my opinion so having like being at live shows watching live stand up is that comedians feel like the world is against them do you guys feel like this pc culture has grown in the last five or so years or do you think people are yelling at clouds and it gives them themselves like a fake uh, villain to be the hero against? I'm not a comedian, but just speaking of the culture, right? Isn't it up to the audience to tell you what they like or not? So that's the whole point of like open mics or whatever, right? They tell you what's funny, what's not. And if they tell you it's not funny, then they're giving you the feedback. I feel like some people can manage to delude themselves into thinking otherwise. But to me... Uh, comedy, you can't really, it's like jujitsu, right? You can't lie to yourself in jujitsu because you're able to roll hard and people will put you in your place every single day that you train. I feel like that's what the audience does to a comedian. And I guess some people are either just too thin skinned or just really genuinely believe it, that the the audience, uh, is to blame that they want to say that, that the audience is wrong. I look at who is the butt of the joke. So when people say, oh, I can't joke about this, it's not a question of can you joke about it? It's who are you making fun of? Are you punching up or are you punching down? But I feel like a lot of comedians will just tell a joke about race or politics or whatever gender, and they just get upset at the reaction. But it's not that you're not allowed to joke about that topic. It's just that your joke either didn't work or you punched down with the joke. George Carlin used to talk about that. The thing that I, that I find unusual, and it's, you know, it's not a criticism so much, but his targets are underdogs. And comedy traditionally has picked on people in power, people who abuse their power. Uh, women and gays and immigrants are kind of, to my way of thinking, underdogs. And, um, you know, he ought to be careful because he's Jewish. And a lot of the people who want to pick on these kind of groups, the Jews are on that list a little further. You got women, gays, gypsies, blah, 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 blah. And it's suddenly you find Jews. And, and Andrew, suddenly Andrew's arrested. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, obviously he should do what he wants. And uh, why does he get away with it, do you think, Ben? Well, because we have he's never a- laughed at jokes about the Well, poor. he's appealing. I think he's appealing largely. I think his core audience 
are young white males who are threatened by these groups. I think a lot of these guys aren't sure of their manhood because that's a problem when you're going in through adolescence. You know, am I really? Am I? Could I be? I hope I'm not one of them. And the women who assert themselves and are competent are a threat to these men. And so are immigrants in terms of jobs and and. Uh, and, and so that's why we as an audience then will laugh. I, you say we. I don't think you're I mean, in I, no, no, but I, I mean, think you're collectively. That, I think that's what, what is at the core of that experience that takes place in these arenas is a certain, uh, a, you know, a, a sharing of, of uh, anger and rage at, at, these, at these targets. Like you mentioned with jujitsu and Sam saying, well, if it's not funny, it's not funny. I would compare it to MMA from 2009, 2010. <laughs> Because there's still a lot of good fighters from that era, but they can't hang now. They can't compete. They're still able to retain the skill set. Maybe not the athleticism or the speed, but they might think, why isn't this working? This used to work. How come I can't execute it anymore? It's like, because times have changed. Either you've kept up with it or you haven't. And comedians are no different. And you have to look at who's complaining because it's usually not the young 20-something, 30-something comedians, usually the guys in their 40s and 50s who are saying, why can't these kids laugh? This used to work. It's like, yeah, but have you really worked on getting better material? And have you not realized your audience probably grew up? Maybe you haven't. You're saying throwing the one-twos don't work anymore? Just <laughs> Remember the old school UFCs? They're just screaming at Coleman, throw the one-two, throw the one-two. <laughs> the game has evolved. Actually, it is a parallel mindset because I still hear old school MMA guys who are complaining about the sport's not pure anymore. It's not the same because basically when they last try to fight, all their shit no longer worked. So instead of blaming themselves, they're blaming the sport. Why are you guys doing all this new stuff? No, no. <laughs> the one twos, just shooting in blind with no takedown setup, submitting you on the ground. That should all still work. The problem isn't me. The problem is you guys, right? <laughs> but in something as irrefutable as MMA, you would think that kind of idea would go away because you're constantly being punished for it. Like you're constantly being submitted, like physically dominated. And even those guys don't get the message, right? So in comedy where it's subjective and nobody's physically even strangling you for telling a bad joke, of course, then that kind of mindset is going to be even more prevalent. You see the evidence before you and you're going to ignore the evidence. And I think as far as my view on it, and I joked about like our audience size, but actually there is a, a pretty big size of people who've wanted something like this. So that's always nice to hear. So we've almost only gotten positive stuff, but I've been on the internet for a long time with other, other stuff like blogs, had another podcast and different audiences, and I've had different comments, but none of it ever bothered me. And my principles and my perspective on it is the same way I see comedians. It's not even like you can't make that joke. You can. You could say whatever the fuck you want. We're also free to say whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> yeah. So I was free to say whatever I wanted on the blog and they're free to say whatever back. And that's the weird thing is just like those MMA guys like, why isn't this working anymore? I should have the freedom to do this move and it should work. And it's like, no, you have the freedom to do that move and they have the freedom to resist and block and counter you, right? You have the freedom to tell whatever joke you want, right? And the audience also has the freedom to laugh, not laugh, jeer, support, whatever. And that's the part that I think people miss is this duality of freedom that we both have freedom, not just you, right? It reminds me of bad economists. They come up with all these shitty models of the world. And when their model of the economy doesn't work, they blame the world. They blame the economy instead <laughs> of blaming their model, right? Yeah. It's like, no, you're supposed to model our reality. The reality isn't supposed to model your stupid ass model, right? <laughs> so it's the same thing. It's like, we are not supposed to change to different types of people to laugh at your joke. You're supposed to joke in a way that makes enough of us laugh. But your point about punching up and down, that's valid too. But even on top of that or independent of that is let's say you're punching up only. That doesn't now mean that everybody has to laugh at your stuff either. They still on top of that independently have the freedom to react however they want. This is one of my problems with a lot of like MMA guys who are reactionary. And a lot of comedians tend to like MMA too. And they also happen to be reactionary. And that's why a lot of them are so bad at analysis because <laughs> they only think of it as 
the initial thing that you do. So the one, two, right? But they're blind to the other person sitting in the pocket and countering what you just did. So there's the one, two, then there's the counter, then there's the counter to the counter, and then there's the counter to the counter to the counter. That sounds funny, but if you watch somebody like Max Holloway fighting, or you've watched somebody like Robert Whitaker fighting, they're able to do that. And they can't analyze any of that because their worldview does not exist in that way where both sides are free to do whatever they want. They still think of it as you take a turn doing something. Okay, I'm not countering it. I'm waiting for you to be done. Now it's my turn to do something, right? And my perspective as a martial artist and also somebody who's really into the philosophy of martial arts and the philosophies that has inspired martial arts, this idea from Taoism, from one thing, you learn all things. I really believe that. And everything I've experienced in my life always reinforces that thing, which is how somebody reacts to one thing is how they usually react to everything. So people, especially like post-industrial revolution and assembly line, they think the way we think about everything is domain specific. Oh, I could be like this in this one area, but I'm a different person in this other area. It's like, no, you're not. You're the same in all those domains, right? So people think, okay, this is just about comedy but how they do MMA analysis, that's different. And it's like, you look at somebody like Joe Rogan, who's always complaining about the audience reaction or, or that other side of it, right? That other side, the audience side doesn't have that freedom. I get to do this thing. You listen to his commentary and it's that same worldview. That guy's doing that thing. He's the beast. He's doing that <laughs> offense, right? He's focusing just on the offense. He he rarely does what they call the meta game, this interchange of what you just said, I said, and it goes in real time flowing back and forth. He can't analyze that because that's not how his mind works. So the same limitations he has in an analysis of MMA, he carries on to his political views. He carries on to his chip on his shoulder about comedy. And all the other comedy guys that he's friends with who also talk about MMA, they all react the same way. And that's why Brendan Schaub's comedy is so bad. <laughs> Oh, would you compare this generation of comedians to establishment Democrats? Yeah, I think it is that same status quo ante, right? We don't want to give up our spots. We're going to stay here forever. You guys don't know. We know better than you. There's nothing wrong with the way we've been doing it because we've been doing it for so long. Mm -hmm. But they forget when Gen X was trying to come up, they had all the boomers before them that didn't want to give up their spots, right? Yeah. So they had to go with these other routes. They had to be MTV. They had to be more edgy. They had to get tattoos and wear backwards hats <laughs> and shit, right? And get goatees and all that to be anti-conservative. And now all the old comics are dead. And they're the mainline established comedians. And now they're the new conservatives because they want to keep their spot. So really, it's not even about left-right. That's the thing. There is no left-right in reality. Meaning, like going back to martial arts, right? You really realize all of it comes down to power and no power, right? When I get a move on you, and if it works, it has nothing to do with this one type of philosophy versus another equally valid type of philosophy. It worked because I was better than you in this position. I had more ability, more power to assert this submission on you. And you couldn't do the same to me. Like <laughs> if I have mount on you and I have really good control for mount, I can spit on you. I can slap <laughs> you and you can't do the same thing to me. It's different power dynamics. It has nothing to do with left, right, or you have one type of jujitsu philosophy and I have another one. It's just power, no power, right? And that's how everything is. So same thing with this. Politics has always been power and powerless. So they're in the power and they want to keep the power away from people who are powerless. And like I said about one thing, you can see all things. That's how they are with everything. So the same way it applies to comedy, the same way it applies to politics, the same way it applies to working life, the same way it applies to generations. It's interesting how people refuse to change their ways even in the face of results. Like you can be getting punched in the face and you go, nah, that's the wrong way to do it. You can bomb on stage. You go, they're the ones that don't get the joke. And you can lose a thousand seats over two terms and be like, this is still the way to campaign. You see that all the time in martial arts, right? We thought once MMA came, martial arts will forever be changed. Then all these like weird martial arts that'll never work will just disappear. And they didn't, right? We thought like with iPhones and technology and the internet and going to fucking Mars, right? <laughs> that there will be no more creationists than people who think the earth is 5,000 years old and they still are there, 
right? So in spite of the evidence, people are just going to believe whatever the fuck they want to believe. And in spite of the reaction you're getting, right? The audience is not laughing or you've upset them or it's a combination of not only are they not laughing, they're annoyed at you. You still refuse to accept the evidence, right? You're a pretty rational guy. Is there one irrational thing that you believe in? (laughs) One thing that would not hold up to investigation? I don't know about irrational, but it's a hot take that pisses off a lot of Californians. Hit me. Which is that in and out is no good. Oh. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, you just lost a lot of viewers. I was going to say my crazy thing is I don't like prime numbers. Hmm. Okay. So... If I'm in the car and someone tunes the radio to 17, I'm like livid. <laughs> and I know nothing bad's going to happen. There's nothing. You can choose 16 or 18 and the the level of volume will probably be imperceptible to my ears. But I can just ride much more comfortably that it was not 17. Mm. And for listeners, what is a prime number? A prime number is a number that can't be divided by two whole numbers. So, for example, what what's some of the early ones? So, sixteen. So, sixteen and eighteen are not prime numbers because you can do four times four, or not for sixteen, nine times two to get to eighteen. But there are no two whole numbers that you can multiply together to get seventeen. So basically, it's a number that can't be divided into another whole number. Is that what it is? Yes. And something about that just irks you. Yeah. I'm just like, who's okay with this? That it's not <laughs> divisible. Yeah. Don't you guys don't you guys like things that like like if I if I said thanks cause cause I'm like Sam, right? Someone does something nice for me, I have to do something nice for them, all right? Or else it's unbalanced. <laughs> I, I gotta even the score. So you guys invite me on the podcast. In return for that, I bring you guys cupcakes as a nice gift. All right. I come out here and I'm like, here's 23 cupcakes. You're telling me there's something not wrong with that? <laughs> well, I think people think that's more weird because it's an odd number, right? I would say it's only weird if it was perfectly laid out to be 23. If it was like a basket of cookies and you just happen to make a bunch of them, I'm not going to count individually like, hey, there's 17 cookies here. What's going on? Why, why, why 17? Why not 16 or 18? But if it's in like those, you know, like Ralph's trays, then you, you suddenly say, okay, here's a perfect 12. And then here's a random odd number on top. I was like, why the hell? Why would you do that? That would be weird. Yeah, because you're wondering where I got it. So if it was, say, 21, that's an odd number as well. But you're like, maybe you got seven packs of three. But with 23, <laughs> that's just a mystery. That, that fucks up your day right there. You'll be thinking about that for a long time. 23, 23, goddamn, cocaine. Where you get 20? Why would... You know what? I said it was a crazy thing that I don't like prime <laughs> numbers, but I've, I've, I've done a pretty good job arguing my own case. I stand by this. I agree. Because about- if you had 23 cupcakes, I'm like, did you eat one on the way? Like, how, See, where's that I, number from? He's thinking about it. I told you. It's a mystery. Yeah. You fucked him up now. <laughs> no, because if someone said, if Sam said, hey, come over, I got an 11-piece meal from El Pollo Loco. It's like, 11? <laughs> they come in 12. What's missing? What happened? Did your son eat one? Like, what happened? I need to know. You fucked him up for life. <laughs> Paul's never going to be the same. But what do you think about Optimus Prime? That's okay? Optimus Prime? What about the Prime Directive in Star Trek? <laughs> or the Prime Minister? Uh, yeah, I love a good Prime Minister. I mean, is it just the actual physical numbers or is it also the word Prime? Um, like Amazon Prime? Hmm. It depends on the the way in which it's used. So like prime minister, that just means, I guess, like the first, like the best minister. So maybe that's what it is, right? These numbers, not only are they confusing, but they're also saying they're the prime, they're the best numbers. You disagree with that wholeheartedly. They are not the best. They should not call themselves prime, maybe subprime numbers. (laughs) (laughs) It's the trickery. It's the being misled that hurts the most. Yeah, because you thought it was going to be a big deal. You're a little kid. You're in class, you're learning math, and then they're talking to you about prime numbers. You're like, okay, great. These are going to be the greatest numbers of all time. And then they're just giving you like numbers like 17 and 23. And you're like, there's nothing prime about these numbers. Can't do anything with these. That's the problem. You would think if they were prime, you could do something with them. 
yet they just sit there by themselves. They can't do shit. They can't interact with the other numbers. Yeah, I would imagine if this was like therapy on a couch, this would be the point in time which I realized, oh, my teacher gave me 17 cookies to share between me and my four friends. And me and Simon (laughs) have never been able to talk since because there just was not one cookie left over to round out the numbers. So prime numbers is the problem with capitalism. There's no equity. You can't share. (laughs) Capitalism is non-shareable. You can't divide this up. It's just fucked up. It's all going to stay with the prime people, the Amazon primes, the Jeff Bezos. They accumulate all the numbers while the rest of us, we're stuck with nothing. Yeah. We'd love to be able to pay for social security, but we just can't can't round out the numbers. (laughs) Because what we have exactly in the bank is one giant prime number. And unfortunately, we just can't divvy that up. I like that. I mean, I don't like that. That's bad. It's bad for society. I don't like that at all. Fuck society and these goddamn prime numbers. What about Fibonacci numbers? Do you like those? Oh, yeah. I like Fibonacci. (laughs) Do you have some closing questions, some topics to wrap this up? So Sam's bored of talking to me. He wants me to finish the podcast. He said, do you have any interesting closing words or comments? Uh, I just want to know, Sam, Paul, who would win in a fight? How sick is Sam? Mm, I would say for the sake of the hypothetical, you're both in peak physical condition. You get a six-week camp, no injuries, oh, we even get a camp. no illness. Yeah, preparation is, is a factor as well. I think Sam would win. He would just big brother me. So I remember <laughs> that time. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not good at this. I forgot. The psychological element. Do you agree, Sam, you, that you would just bully him emotionally to victory? You know how many times... When people find out we have this podcast, they've asked who'd win in a fight. This is like fourth or fifth time. I don't have any funny answer to this. So not only does Sam no longer want to talk to me, he also doesn't like my final question. <laughs> Can we get a different final question? All right. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm driving. I'll be out. I'll just, just close the door on my way out. Don't worry about it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time piece of shit (laughs) okay thank you jonathan where can people find you they should go to bonathan sketch b-o-n-a-t-h-a-n sketch on youtube and facebook my wife bonnie and i bonnie and jonathan hence bonathan have some pretty good if i do say so myself sketch videos online Yeah, it's like I have to you have to do something good as like, hey, I'll treat you out to Shake Shack. Come on, let's go. Yeah. Whereas oh, what do you feel like good, eating? I'll take your ass to Shake Shack. I feel like Sam and Yang didn't appreciate my Beyonce reference enough. <laughs> what? She has a little the lyric. What lyric? Fuck me good, I'll take your ass to Red Lobster. How am I supposed to know about this? Ah, oh, it's a pretty famous song. You know this? I clearly didn't. I missed it too. Hopefully your audience is more cultured. <laughs>